Hey, are you ready to grow your business? You have checked out the number one resource for business leaders, entrepreneurs, startup founders, and managers. And we're going to teach you how to grow and scale your business with real actionable steps. There's no fluff in this podcast. It's just good advice. Check out this episode. If you're a first-time listener, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoy this episode, leave us a five-star review. Today's guest is Tony Minasale, who's the founder and CEO of SignalWire. It's the world's largest telecom platform. We're going to be talking about innovation today. We're going to be talking about entrepreneurship today. And more importantly, how do you be someone who you can see a need and let that fuel your next product or service? Tony's going to be sharing more about this, including his story and why SignalWire has become a backbone for modern communication applications like Amazon, Netflix, and Zoom. Stay tuned. Here comes your good advice. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Good Advice Podcast. One of my favorite things about the show is bringing to you people who not just understand entrepreneurship, but they've been in the entrepreneurial world, they've grown their own business, and they're out there making it happen. We bring you their real information, their real stories to the podcast so that you can know what to do with your own business. Today, we have Tony Minasale on the podcast. He's the founder and CEO of SignalWire, and we're going to be talking about his startup journey and how it has grown to be one of the world's largest telecom platform in bringing complex technology to real-time communication. We're talking about it today. Tony, it's great to have you on the podcast. Great to be here. Thanks. How are you doing today? Doing pretty good. It's nice out today. Yeah, it's funny. I've had people on the show um, from all over this week, and I've gone from people who are in like total heat waves to in like basically a monsoon. So it's nice to have someone on the show who is actually enjoying the weather these days. Yeah, I'm in Wisconsin right now, and it's pretty good. Okay, cool. Well, tell us a little bit about who you are and SignalWire and what you do. So um, I'm uh, CEO of SignalWire. Um, I've been working in engineering since the late 90s. Um, I did a lot of work in the early days of the web hosting era when websites were taking off, um, dealing with like the server side of, of scaling and making websites uh, possible to deliver to everybody. Um, when we used to have a lot less tech back then. Um, hmm. And then, uh, I don't know, around the early 2000s, um, I started getting involved in uh, communications because I was trying to build a product that revolved around um, call center. And I thought that I could use the internet, um, but I couldn't. And so then I got kind of obsessed with why I couldn't. And I spent a lot of time focusing on like, why can't we use the internet like for reliable communications? So mm-hmm. I've been working on that for, I don't know, 15 years. Uh, I started out doing an academic project called FreeSwitch, which is an open source platform I created um, kind of to solve some of my own problems as to why you couldn't build what I call software-defined telecom um, right away. There's a, there's some products out there and, and projects, and it was all kind of 
a good start, but it didn't really solve the problems that I had. So I put a lot of effort into trying to build that. and created a, um, movement for the enterprise, you know, because of that, um, several large, um, enterprise things that use the internet now, companies that utilize, you know, call center technologies and, and, uh, phone service over the internet, um, use a lot of, uh, that early technology that I worked on, um, in 2017, I, um, created SignalWire with my co-founders in order to create, you know, a, a more, scaled, uh, easy to, to use version of some of the tech that we had put together in the early times, um, harnessing all of that and making it easy to use. Uh, as we worked on this, uh, um, you know, the, the early work required some pretty, pretty talented developers and very specific niche things like, uh, understanding like protocols and C and the internet and a bunch of other stuff that is kind of hard to deliver to the world, you know, at large, because there's a smaller population would actually want to focus on that much complexity. And so as we try and bring the technology up, we try and make it easier at every step. So, you know, SignalWire is the, the goal of uh, creating hyperscale around this tech so that you can embed and build any kind of uh, live communication tool where the medium is the internet. So phone service, audio chat, uh, any of the kind of stuff you might do that requires the internet. I, I imagine, you know, you talked about a little bit of your history and being involved with um, maybe even the early days of the internet. Is it exciting to see how much internet technology has changed over the last, even over the last decade? Yeah, a lot. Um, Cause right now also there's this whole work from home thing and that was something I've done since 1995, pretty much. <laughs> um, and it's evolved insanely yeah. since then. I used to need, I had a dial-up internet. It would go so slow. It's 28.8 kilobits, and I'm trying to do work over it. And like, meanwhile, I have another phone line, so in case somebody calls me, there's no cell phones. Right. Um, and all the ways, you know, like the first time an ISDN line happened, suddenly my internet was like a blazing 128 kilobits per second, and I thought <laughs> that was all I ever need. And then the cable modems came out, they're 1 megabit, and then 10, and then 100, now 300. Um, now we got fiber. Yeah, no fiber yeah. internet, and it's amazing. We had Starlink and 5G, and that's really one of the things I was waiting for because when I started building, you know, during this, during the time that I worked on my software technology, the internet probably 10xed. Um, but also now, just in the from like a year or two ago until three years from now, this little even smaller window it's going to go just as much, you know, like mm. it's going to 10 X again. And then we have all these opportunities to do things. You know, we won't be worried about trying to make the video work over small connections and stuff. We'll have low latency to everywhere. And that's kind of one of the last things that really is necessary to use the internet reliably for communication channels. Surely there's a point of like diminishing returns, right? Like, are we anywhere near that or is it still, is there still plenty of innovation to happen? With the internet um, infrastructure? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that it's... First, we can get the pipe to be a certain size, but then you have to scale it. You know, So like 5G theoretically gives you a gigabit to your phone, which is ludicrous, so no one's going to do it right away. So like 
that gigabit will get saturated by all the people until they, you know, in the back infrastructure side, they would keep trying to up that. But you'd be able to have some pretty decent interactions if you just had more so than just the speed, you want to have reliability mm-hmm. um, and coverage so that, like, let's say you always get 20 megabits in both directions. Like, it's not a ton of sound you have at your house, but it's, like, to your phone, that's more than enough to have every call ever over video. You can mm-hmm. call Walgreens on video every time you want to get your subscription refilled or, or you want to have, like, all of your phone calls go to the Internet. So there's going to be a big shift between the infrastructure providers um, rather than trying to sell you phone service, they're going to sell you internet first. And then mm. phone service is an afterthought, something you use your new amazing internet for. And then inside the house, um, you know, everyone will probably have a gigabit as the lowest plan. And that's going to give you, like, basically the same speed to a computer in the same room with one on the other side of the country because you'll have, you know, it's caught, it's caught up a few times before we used to have like 10 megabit internet and then we had 10 megabits on the internet and in the land. And then mm-hmm. we started doing hundred megabit land. So then we had to wait for that to catch up. So then we can go hundred megabit to our computer across the room or to the internet. And now we're doing it with 300 and gigabit. Now there's 10 gigabit. So, you know, it's always kind of a race between like local area network speeds and wide area network speeds, but they're all past the line now for speed wise or amount of bandwidth, but the reliability and, and uh, we would call like latency being consistent so that you can do as close to real time communication as possible. Cause even like cell phones now are half a second delayed. You just don't realize it. I don't know if you ever called someone on a cell phone when you're near them, you can tell, uh, but usually they're far away. So you don't notice. But that's so, still kind of a lot. A lot of people like to have no latency. It's pretty hard on the internet because you have to do, there's a lot of uh, redundancy you got to build in to make sure the packets make it there in time stuff. So it always causes some delay. And you don't want to remove that as much as you can. So thinking about like the history of signal wire and we have this, this beast like the internet that's continually exponentially growing, I really appreciated your comment on working from home since the 90s. And I think what's interesting about COVID is we were with plenty of businesses that said very openly, work from home work does not work. That remote work is not effective. And yet there have been companies, especially in the last five years, that are billion dollar companies that are entirely remote. And so we've seen in the last year and a half, public perception start to shift where people are like, oh, I guess you can work from home. In the same way with the internet in the early 2000s, you had businesses that were saying things like, oh, you know, uh, or excuse me, in the late 90s, the internet's a fad. It's not going to stick around. It's not going to replace, you know, how people actually find out about businesses. And, um, you know, you're somebody who you've been on the cutting edge of both of those things. What's it been like being someone who is a bit countercultural to the established perception on what works, what doesn't work? I mean, do you consider yourself an innovative person or I mean, what is that? Have you even thought about that or, or what does that look like for you? I'm definitely drawn to difficult stuff. So yeah, probably. I mean, I also like computers a lot. So it kind of went together and computers being on a network, you know, it just made it even better and more fun to do. And in the old days, it's the only way I could get to it, right? Like I, I have a lot of background with Unix. So I used to use the mainframe in the college I went to. The only way into it was dial up. It's the size of a refrigerator. You never get to see it in person. You just have like text terminals. So from the beginning, 
like if I wanted to use a computer, I have to call it over the phone, you know, because <laughs> my I could get my little personal computer, but like I really wanted that Unix system, so I had to dial into it. So it kind of was the, the basis of realizing that I could do things over a network and far away and, and try and make it easier and stuff. But I think that, yeah, the the distaste for remote work now that it's not forced on us is partially real estate related. You know, like imagine how much money will be lost if you don't lock people in a giant building all the time. Mm. And suddenly you don't have to pay for it. Imagine the people losing all the money if they don't need buildings. Yeah. Um, so there's a little bit of that, but also because it's hard to manage people remotely if you don't have practice at it. Um, but I would say being an engineer type, um, us developer type people are just always done this. That's not new. Um, the persona that kind of of a software engineer is like a guy with the backpack. Um, you know, it sits down and pulls it out anywhere. Like, oh, I'm at the anywhere the internet works, which is getting even more remote and mm-hmm. whatever. But like, I could sit at a table in a coffee shop. I can go to the beach. I could be in my own living room. Yeah. Um, so those things are like normal for that kind of person because developers you know we have this conference every year in chicago um the next one's coming up in october and when you, you just get the crowd there it's just a sea of laptops and they all brought their <laughs> entire office on their back and they're all the sooner so developers have already figured out how to remote work their whole life so you have these like men and women that soon they're typing and they don't care where they are they can tune they put headphones on and it's like it's actually fine but when you think of like sales or something like that or maybe like any other areas of the company like marketing or that kind of stuff where you used to like, you imagine them sitting at a bunch of, there's a bunch of really nice computers and you're sitting on a like high top table talking to each other while you're like making cool graphics or whatever. Like that one's a little higher to get remote. Um, but we've had practice at that too since we started Signalwire. So um, one of the ways we did that was to build using our own technology, a uh, virtual work environment where we have basically uh, always on video with like several different rooms that you can see. So as you work during the day, um, you have this kind of video experience, typical of what you might expect, where there's like a room with people in it. Um, But it starts to allow you to look at what everyone else is also doing and join them in real time. So like if I was here in my room with you right now, and I decided I had to go talk to somebody else that I was w- waiting for. If I saw them in a room, I just click the room and I'll jump in there. So that's one of the ways that we took the concepts of telephony, you know, the idea of how like I'm calling you and I'm transferring and I'm putting you on hold, like all those things you think about with a phone mm-hmm. and like marrying it together with like what you might expect out of like Google Hangouts or something. Mm-hmm. So that instead of just being like two different things, it's really just, the way phones have evolved. So in our own use case, um, that allows like our marketing team, our product team, our engineers, everybody has their own kind of little space and they can go and join each other when needed. And you have more of impromptu meetings and stuff. And that makes it easy. And sometimes they want to see each other in person. They live kind of far away in some cases, but a lot of them are sort of close so they can drive and meet each other once in a while. There's not like a sentence to have to work from home just because you're not working in an office. I think that's the thing that's been 
conflated a lot lately because we get locked in to this paradigm of it's uh, coronavirus. So now I'm trapped in my house and that's the only reason it's useful to work over my computer. But if you think about it, like everyone just goes to sit in a different place and sit at their computer instead. So it's the difference where they are as long as they have discipline to, to continue right. to reduce work and whatnot. And a time where so many businesses are trying to innovate, including people who are listening to the podcast right now who are thinking about how do I leverage technology to the benefit of even not just my business, but maybe even what I want to offer uh, in terms of my next product or service. Sometimes it feels like people have really great ideas, but either that technology as a whole isn't there yet, or it's just not it's not the right time, so to speak. So one example would be something like YouTube where, you know, YouTube wasn't the first business that, or service that thought of YouTube, but it, it, the history of YouTube, it came about at exactly the right time that the internet, uh, whether it was like the codex or whatever it was, as the internet was developing with the browsers were able to partner well with YouTube. So how much have you found it be reliant on good timing or, the luck of when you decided to build something, how much of that is in play when it comes to the innovative process? I think the timing is important. Um, that YouTube example is pretty much like the standard of like missing the boat or being too early for the boat. You know, um, that's, it's, uh, very important. You know, you can't deliver real time video over the internet to everybody when you can't even, fit the video can't play because you don't have enough bandwidth going to everybody. So that was the same problem that I'm talking about only even sooner because it's a lot more simple to buffer video, you know, and download it to only watch it. But then we're talking going both directions. It's even mm -hmm. worse because a lot of times our internet is slow going the other way. Um, they tend to make it asynchronous because most of the time they figure, oh, the upload direction is only for requests and it's not that big and you don't need much. You know, they had to start doing a little more because gamers now have like games that go both directions, but they really put a lot of effort on only the inbound for a long time. And now they're just starting to deal with both directions. So that's one of the key things. Um, in our case, you know, since I put a lot of effort into the technology itself, um, trying to w make it more resilient by working under crappy internet conditions was good practice. But um, in the case of timing, I sort of waited, you know, for the timing. One thing is when you work on technology just for the sake of working on it, um, like I did with my open source stuff and tried to create a movement around getting developers to build things, um, it's not a business. So it isn't necessarily like it, we had a, like a small consulting company, but it wasn't like a large shot, you know, like we're not swinging for the fence with it. So if it's like all or nothing kind of thing, it was, it was possible to maintain, you know, keep working on the technology and wait for the timing to be right. So I think that time is important. And I probably waited a good several years, you know, from when the idea first came in my head of some of the stuff I want to build. Like some of it is so monumental that I could work on it before I even put people around me. So I have a smaller team that I would work on some of this tech with at the lowest level and kind of without any distractions, um, you know, handful of people, like less than 10 people. Um, then we start SignalWire and now we're going to bring in, you know, like we're up to 70 now, you know? So it was yeah. like uh, during that time when all you're doing is working on the tech, it's a lot easier to kind of wait for the stars to align and there's a lot of work to be done. So now it's like kind of bringing all those pieces together anyway. How do you stay patient? 
and that whole process? Because I mean, you mentioned yourself, sometimes it takes several years. I mean, a lot of times, especially in the startup world or people who are creating something, they're so excited about the fruition of taking it to market. How do you stay patient in that? I don't know how I did it because I'm not very patient if you asked others about <laughs> me and patience. But somehow in that one aspect, you know, I've been working on just the uh, technology stack, the one piece of our company that I had worked on even earlier than the company started. That's, um, I think we're at year number 16 now. So I've been spending 16 years on the same software project. Um, and so I guess it's just so big, eventually it kind of, you know, it's not crazy horse. I'm not that patient. I go get some dynamite and right now, like instead of doing it by hand or whatever. Sure. Uh, but it kind of is like that in the software sense because it's like, you know, 15 years to build software. Maybe it could be faster. You could say, oh, what if you just get like a hundred million bucks and hire a bunch of people to do it for you and stuff. But it's like not necessarily going to work because you need right. the feedback from the world evolving around it as well because it's kind of other drivers of the technology are the internet, people's willingness to use it, you know, the, the shift, the paradigm of uh, cloud compute. You know, when I started my stuff, uh, I had to put it on a server somewhere. There was no AWS or anything. And, you know, people now can start building stuff that way. And so we had a kind of transition to that and being able to run software in a virtualized environment in a real-time program was a lot harder than, say, like a web server. Like, you wouldn't even know how fast or slow a web server is as long as it works. And, like, there's no two-way communication issues with it. But some software, like the ones we use, Latency, like I said, is critical, and you need the compute to to you know timing off of the computer and a bunch more stuff. No one cares about hearing from me right now, but just virtual computers do not perform the exact same way real ones do. So there's a lot okay. of forgiving stuff you have to put into your software to tolerate it. Well, obviously you're committed to SignalWire. What's next for the business? I mean, what are you looking at a year from now, even maybe five years from now? Where does the business go from here? So we started out building what you would call the kind of table stakes gateway service. Cause one of our goals is to create an internet first mentality for communication. So right now we have a PSTN first, you know, PSTN is a, what nerds call phone network. You know, it's just like 10 digit dial numbers to each other, like mom bells, phone lines and all that kind of stuff. So we still have that. We have mobile now, but a lot of it gateways back into that same old stuff. So you're going in and out of this 1970s equipment all the time, every call you make. Um, in order to tolerate that, we had to you know, take some of the tech that we worked on in the early part of our project to deal with phone numbers still. Like, oh, I wanna call a phone number. And then it comes into us over, we turn it into software through a gateway. Um, and start trying to do stuff with it. So we built this whole network where you can say, build your own voice menus, mm -hmm. you know, things that were a long time ago, they were pretty hard to do. You would imagine you're going to go pay like 10 grand for some box that just answers calls and asks you to press one for sales or that kind of stuff. But, you know, throughout the work that we've done over the last decade and a half, we can now write that as like simple couple lines of code and some, scripting language that people like to use you know you can mm. make those kinds of things now you don't have to have like specific device for it anymore um, and getting all that tail stick stuff was the first thing we did so that we'd have ways to manipulate and control the original kind of phone calls 
interface. So you can put phone numbers, receive calls, to, you can make contact centers or voice menus or any of that kind of stuff. And then we decided to work on then supplementing that with video. So same stuff, but also with video so that you could build and create, you know, instant embed experiences in your website. So you can have sales people just appear in this, in your website. When you call, you know, you go in and say, I need help. And the call center disappears and right in the browser. Mm -hmm. Um, So working on a bunch of that stuff, um, making that really easy to build. So not just the technology itself, like there's lots of, complicated reasons and how we got that technology. Some of it is from stuff that we worked on directly and the rest of the world helps with it. And Google and everybody else contributes like large pieces to that capability. Um, But then putting it all in a normalized container so you can just go, I want to build something and it's really fast. So that was one of the next goals. And then like long-term is that one of the problems we want to solve is is real-time bi-directional broadcast that is like, close to zero latency as possible. Right now we have a lot of broadcast stuff, like gamers going on Twitch and all that kind of stuff. Um, It's using a very antiquated protocol that came back from the days of Flash. And we finally have eradicated Flash from our lives, but the protocol that Flash uses remains and it still has like a 30 second delay. Um, So if I broadcast video, everyone else is seeing it 30 seconds later. And there's a lot of reasons why that's bad. You know, that timing could be important. You know, let's say we're watching a football game. And then if we're watching a football game together and then I have a sports app on my watch and it tells me the touchdown happened and I didn't even see the guy hike the ball yet, then right. it gets kind of weird. And that removes a lot of cool stuff you could do or being able to watch stuff in real time with other people and be able to talk and, and have them hear what you said right away and vice versa. So um, doing that in a small scale is already super hard. But now we want to do it to the end degree, like as many as possible, maybe even into the millions and being able to reduce that real time latency amount, you know, so that you could broadcast stuff and people are actually seeing it live and mm-hmm. not like crazily delayed, not like 30, 40 seconds and get right. it down to like one or less than a second or 200 milliseconds, something like that. It blows my mind where technology can go, especially this conversation of latency, because I'll have the sports app and realize, oh, it it gets kind of spoiled for you. It's like, oh, the yeah, yeah the touchdown or the interception happened, and you're like, okay, I guess I'll watch it happen now. Um, that is really interesting, and like I said, it it just blows my mind where technology goes from here, and it's very exciting. So. Tony, I wish you well. This has been a great conversation, and it's so interesting to think about where technology goes from here. Uh, not only do I wish you well, I wish SignalWire well. Is there anything else you want to tell the audience in terms of how to stay engaged with you or SignalWire or really what the next steps are? Well, SignalWire is a pretty welcoming place. Um, you can just go sign up for it. There's nothing. It's not like you have to buy something, but obviously you do if you start building products, you know, but you can go try it out and get to know us um, with very little commitment. So I'd say visit our website and come and hang out. All right. Tony, thanks for joining us today. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. No problem. Hey, for our listeners, I'm going to put the website signalwire.com down in the episode description below. And if you've been following the podcast, what the heck are you waiting on? Click that subscribe button so you keep getting good advice wherever you are. And don't forget, if you enjoy the podcast and you want to support the podcast, you can do it at our Patreon, patreon.com slash good advice, where you can even get your business advertised on the podcast in the introduction. Again, that's at patreon.com slash good advice. Hey, we so appreciate you. That's today's good advice. We'll catch you later. See ya.